0: Welcome to Stemming and Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful, winning woman of color to the show. Hello, and welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. The main focus of the show is to highlight and showcase the stories of minority women in STEM. It is my belief that if we want to encourage minority girls to pursue STEM careers, they should first hear and learn from those who have lived those stories. It is my job to provide a safe environment for them to do so. So let's welcome this beautiful and vivacious woman in STEM to our show. Our guest today is Dr. Marsha Allen Owens. She is a biochemical researcher, environmental lawyer, ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Dr. Allen Owens has had a lifetime of being the first and only, an intersectional minority among minorities. She is the first black woman to earn tenure in the Florida A&M University School of Environment. She still hears from students that she is the first black woman to teach them in a STEM class. As an interdisciplinary scholar, Dr. Owens has earned degrees from Jackson State University and Emory University. She combined her scientific and legal training as she practiced with the Environmental Protection Agency and the City of Atlanta. Using her academic and career expertise, she now serves as Associate Professor of Environmental Science and Policy at FAMU, where her current and past impact As a major professor is resulting in nearly 20 black students earning the master's and PhD in environmental science she also actively mentors undergraduate students via the FAMU office of undergraduate research the dearth of black women professors and students in STEM has shifted her research focus to gender equity in 2019 with Owens as the principal investigator, the National Science Foundation awarded FAMU the five-year 2.97 million NSF Advance Institutional Transformation Grant. As director, For the newly created Center for Faculty Advancement at FAMU, Dr. Owens is leading the effort to examine and change institutional policies and practices that impact the recruitment, retention, and promotion of women in STEM, and the social and behavioral sciences. The existence, persistence, and efforts of Dr. Marsha Allen Owens as a role model at FAMU expands the presence and possibilities of students from underrepresented groups in STEM professions. Let's welcome Dr. Marsha Allen Owens. Full disclosure for our audience, Dr. Owens and I have known each other for, gosh, a long time, but I think this is the first, second time that we've done um, done an interview type of um, I'll just say we have done an interview together. so I'm really I'm really happy that you agreed to come on with me and um, and tell your story. You know that I think that you are uh, amazing and that I have admired you for a long time and and that I love you. <laughs> um, so um, just wanted to say that out loud and um, get it on the record. So now I'll turn <laughs> I'll turn this uh, this over to you and tell you and ask you to tell us about, tell us your STEM story. Okay. Um, honestly, since the, the first time we
1: had an interview like this, there have been dimensions of my STEM story that have become clearer. So it probably is going to sound a little different than the last time we had this conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, my STEM story started in my hometown, home state, um, born in a little town called Grenada, Mississippi. Mississippi is the state that's last in things that you don't wanna be last in and first in things that you don't wanna be first in. But I had my mama. I'm a teacher's kid. Uh, my dad, Willie T. Allen, was the principal. My mom, Mildred Allen, started out as an English teacher. And she eventually went and she got her EDD. Her story is a story all on its own. But she is the reason that I did anything in STEM. And as I look back, you know, my Childhood was kind of traditional. I'm the the baby girl of two children. My brother was actually six and a half years older. And just this morning I realized my childhood childhood was kind of gendered. My brother got a chemistry set. I got an easy bake oven and um dolls. And so that whole strong black woman, caring for everybody except yourself, kinda of started early. But it just hit me this morning that he got a chemistry set and he went into business and I got dogs and I ended up being in STEM. And so uh, mama's push for me towards STEM started when I was in high school and taking the the PSAT. Um that was when my science scores were coming out as being pretty high Um, in the 90 plus percentile, I think I remember, but my science scores were pretty high. And it wasn't that I was, you know, uh, a science geek or anything like that. And, And she started talking about about it to me and she's like your science scores are really high i think you need to think you need to go into science and and i said well mama science just makes sense to me i said it it just it's logical it just makes sense wasn't that i was doing anything overtly scientific i was in the 1970s versions of ap classes i took all the advanced classes in science and math I took advanced classes in everything. We didn't have IB or uh at least in in Jackson, Mississippi, we didn't have um AP classes at my high school. Ironically, my high school is now the IB class. Um high, IB high school in Jackson. We moved from Grenada to Jackson. I mentioned um Grenada, but I was born in Grenada and lived there till I was 5th grade, I think. So it was kind of a push from my mom. And it was was a gentle push, but her gentle pushes were still strong. And so, you know, I have another theory about Black teachers who went to college in the 50s. Teachers were very respected then. Mm -hmm. And the only thing better than being a teacher in the Black community during my mom and dad's time was to be doctor or a lawyer so my mama picked doctor for me but i wanted to be a psychology major and go to law school but my mama wanted me to be an md and so i majored in biology in college minored in math and um ironically i struggled with chemistry and it was my chemistry grades that kept me out of medical school. And so, you know, I took the MCAT. I didn't get in. My friends got in. I didn't get in. I went on to work on a master's in biology doing research in biochemistry. Went to Atlanta University after I graduated from Jackson State University with a degree in biology. I moved to Atlanta and started my master's work with um, with an emphasis in biochem thinking that that was going to help me fulfill what i had figured out by then was my mama's dream for me to be a medical doctor and so i worked on that um masters did everything except um write my thesis and i just got i got tired And just one day I decided to go and walk in and take the the law school admissions test because it was what I wanted to do. I was feeling pretty rebellious that day. No prep, didn't have any idea what was on the LSAT, just went and paid the walk-in fee and sat down and took the test and felt good about myself and left and didn't really think anything else about it until these letters started coming and offering me scholarships and offering me to fly me up to here and we want you to come to our law school. I'm like, oh, I must have done okay.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> and so...
0: No bit, no bit. So,
1: so at that point, I, the master's is the degree that that I walked away from there were some gendered STEM me too things kinda going on and it wasn't a it wasn't the greatest experience for me. And so I literally walked away. All I had left was a thesis. At some point in my life it was a regret, but now it's like, I mean I'm older, I have perspective and it's just part of my story. So I have all of this, all of this coursework and all this research experience, um, and it's actually valuable in what I do now. And so went to law school at Emory. Um, I chose not to leave Atlanta. I went to law school at Emory. That became the first of several Emory degrees because at, at, a point I was married and had two children and a house and house note and two cars and car payments and mm-hmm. I just wasn't going to uproot my family to get more degrees and so all of the graduate degrees that I earned are are from Emory and um, the law degree began to be the first part of quite a journey. Um, so while I was in law school, I had all this science experience, and I said, well, what kind of, kind of law can I practice that will allow my science to be an asset? And there were several options, and environmental law picked me uh, mm-hmm. because I was offered an internship at the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA Region 4, which is in Atlanta. And the internship turned into a job offer. So, you know, there's no magical story of how, how that happened. Environmental law picked me. And so I practiced as a hazardous waste lawyer um, for EPA Region 4 for about four years. And then the city of Atlanta hired me to be one of their in-house environmental lawyers thing that was also happening, though, was that I was moonlighting in the family profession. I was teaching as an adjunct at night, the Emory School of Public Health. I was teaching environmental policy, and I fell in love with teaching, and wanted to, after about 10 years of doing that, I approached them and asked, you know, well, you know, what What do I do to do this full time? And they said, well, you only have a law degree. And I kind of was taken aback and I said, only? I only have a law degree. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to set you up for that. Um, by year three, you will have to generate 50% of your salary through research grants. And the law degree doesn't equip you for that. You need to get a PhD. And I looked at them and I said, okay, go get a PhD. So I went home and I I talked to my husband and I said, you know, they said I need a a PhD. And he said, well, go get one. And I said, you act like I can go down to Quick Trip and just pick (laughs) up one. We, 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 what? It's
0: on aisle three. It's on aisle three. And and he was
1: very encouraging. And it took me about three years to figure it out. And really, one of my students guided me to the PhD, again, at Emory um, in educational studies. But my concentration area was science and environmental education. My dissertation was on uh, the environmental literacy of urban that that code word there urban um middle school teachers and so environmental literacy has been a part of my research career since i had um in a research career outside of what what i did with with the masters which was i mean i've, I've worked in a lab and i killed a lot of rats and I hope I have repented from that but um so I got the PhD in in science and environmental education and at the end of that I experienced a call on my life and ended up going to seminary so I went probably yeah ten straight years to school with my younger son really, he was a year old when I started the PhD, so he knew me as a student. And so once I finished that journey and we decided to move to Tallahassee when I was offered the job at Florida A&M University, which is called FAMU, Um, he actually asked me, he was like, well, Mama, what school are you going to now? And I said, I'm actually going to get a job. (laughs) And, and he said, a job? I said, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to get a job. And when I graduated with the Ph.D., I remember um, the same son, Marcus, my youngest son, asking me, Mama, what grade are you? And I stood there and I counted up and I counted up all the years that I had been in school. And I said, Marcus, I just graduated from the 33rd grade. And he said, Do I have to go to the thirty-third grade? And I said, I don't recommend it. So <laughs> <Right>.
0: um,
1: <laughs> um school has been a large part of my life. School and church are places where historically I've I've felt comfortable. And so um at FAMU, because of the experience and because of those those hours in science, you know, I'm I'm a STEM I'm a STEM professor, and so what I teach at FAMU is the same thing that I taught at Emory. I teach environmental policy. So I get to teach classes like um, environmental regulation, uh, risk communication, environmental decision-making. And in these times, my experience, coupled with my academic training, they're pretty relevant. And so I'm able to shift with my students um, right now, we're dealing with COVID nineteen, and so when we had to shift our syllabi and and shift our teaching approach to distance learning, I shifted my syllabus, and so all of my classes are now we're talking about COVID nineteen, we're talking about risk communication, we're talking about the environmental policy impact of what is going on, and so um, I am an interdisciplinary scholar. I look through multiple lenses because of the different training um, approaches that I've had, and so I I enjoy my work, and, you know, I have also been aware, and now the awareness is different, as I said, of the gendered impacts of science you know mm-hmm. from me not getting the chemistry set to now me being a first and an only in the 2000s at an hbcu historically black college and university so um the advance grant the NSF advance grant looks at gender equity among stem and social and behavioral science um Faculty and black women are minorities among minorities. There aren't many black women who have faculty positions in STEM, even at institutions that have predominantly uh, black students. And so, gender inequity is not something that's popular to study anywhere, but it's especially not popular in in black spaces so um that's my story in a nutshell
0: um i know i said a lot but no it it was great um and, and exactly what we need i have a couple of questions for you um related to to your story but to your research and what you're doing um right now one has to do with so you had mentioned just a few seconds ago about you know the the dearth of black women um in in these spaces in in our spaces um and and they're not and it's not something that's talked about people don't like it don't like that to have that conversation it's almost like they take it the audience takes it personal um, and i can't and I can't figure out why. I mean, because it's an issue. It's it's an issue. It's an issue. So I I'd like to get your opinion on why you think it's um it the conversation becomes muted when it's a conversation about Black women um, in STEM, Black women in the sciences, Black women being faculty at uh, a, a predominantly Black institution. And being a minority among minorities, so why do you? What are your? What's your hypothesis? What? What's your? What do you believe? Or why do you? What is your beliefs about why that's happening? Well,
1: um, that goes back to my mom too. I grew up. I was born when Jim Crow was still Jim Crow, um, Mm -hmm. quite overtly. Um, And I'm not even 60 years old, so that lets you know that we're not that far away from that time. But my mom, remember both my parents were educators, my mom started working in the civil rights movement This was when we were still in Grenada, Mississippi. My mom started working in the Civil Rights Movement. And my dad became interested after my mom started working. And once my dad became interested, they pushed my mom to the side. And, you know, she had key roles, but she wasn't one of the faces. My daddy became one of the faces. And so because of the work I do now, I can put that in perspective. Um, The fight for civil rights was a fight for racial justice. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And racial justice meant that black men would become equal to white men. Well, the system in which they were fighting for justice was a patriarchy a misogynist system where men were more than women and women had certain roles. And so that fight, that civil rights fight, was about race. And it was about gaining equality for Black men because men are the head and men will lead the community. And so historically in the United States, especially in the South, we've talked about equality for black men. If you're a student of history and you, you read about or heard about the, the Memphis, um, the, the march of the, the sanitation workers in Memphis, and they were carrying signs saying, I am a man. And so our major movement has been about gaining equality for men. Black men being equal to uh, to white men but but women have been left out of the story, and so in twenty twenty we haven't reached the point where black men are equal to white men, and so we're not trying to to tell a different story and so when women like us. <laughs> decide to occupy spaces that have been reserved for men science is one of those spaces everything yeah. that i've done is one of those spaces mm-hmm. science law uh ministry um i just i just won't accept that i have an assigned place <laughs> right right I, and so so And so HBCUs are are microcosms of the black community. Um, And so black women in science are very few because of that history, and this conversation is uncomfortable because of that history. But there's another piece in that black women who do choose to be scientists um, or, or have great scientific aptitude, they go on to more prestigious professions, um, professions that their families understand. They go to medical school. We mm-hmm. we understand that. Medical school, dental school, um, pharmacy school. These are things that, that Black families understand. Um, the whole PhD process, you know, I've, was not first generation phd and so me getting a phd wasn't a strange thing but as i deal with my doctoral students part of what i have to do is talk to them about how to handle their family the you know the same old story you oh you just don't want to get a job you just being a professional student what are you going to do with that degree anyway so right. it's it it's hard When you're doing something that's going to take you five, six, ten years and your family and your support system doesn't really see the benefit of it. And the thing about a Ph.D. in STEM is that it doesn't equate in financial gain. You don't do that six years, ten years working on a phd and then and then start out with a six-figure salary that's not that's not what it's about and so black families understand okay well my kid's good in science and she's gonna go to medical school and she's gonna make money but she's gonna have a bunch of student loans but she's gonna make money they they understand that and so it's, it's
0: very it's complex and also complicated yeah, I, I, well, you know, you, you know my story, and I feel like we, I totally agree with what you're saying about it being about the whole civil rights movement. It was about, it wasn't about us. Like, we were, a, we were an, an integral part of it in, in terms of helping to advance the movement in ways, but it wasn't about us. Um, and that has played itself out um, in today's um, society with us still being, like I had a girlfriend called me, she was like, you are a unicorn, and I laughed when she said it, because I've heard that term before, but I was like, I'm really not, you know, like I I get what she was trying to say, but at the same time, I'm like, I need to knock down that notion. There are plenty of women who like you and myself are we're plenty smart we have an interest in science we've worked um we've done you know we've done the work to be where we are and who we are um and the main reason why i do this podcast and believe so strongly in it is that there's there's just this notion that they we don't exist is crazy to me it's it's like i know too many of us and so well um and, and and so I, I say all that to say it's just it, it it's it's frustrating because we're in a time where we we're seeing all these advancements in terms of like the whole Me Too movement, um, which was started by we know by by a black woman, but at the same time it's like we're still we're still stuck, and that's I, I just have problems with that.
1: Well, we're 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 still stuck, but um, I hate to tell you, but in a way, we are unicorns because when you look at the numbers, um, black women with PhDs in anything, let alone STEM, we're fewer than one percent of. PhDs on, on the face of the earth. And so you and I, because of the work that we do, we know a few, but but what we're talking about is hundreds. I mean, there, there are thousands of us. We don't all know each other, but you and I have a circle where on purpose, we find the black women phd's because the first time a student said to me at famu one of the largest hbcus i've never had a black woman to teach me science that was it It was kind of earth shattering i'm like what right and when we look at the k through 12 um teaching population is mostly white it's, women it's still yep white women you're right so yeah and, and so so the unicorn the unicorn it's it's a compliment i mean yeah we we're 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 different um and there there's another um women in stem podcast and they they focus on women in computer science and they mm-hmm. actually their logo is really cool i mean it's it's a black woman with an afro with a unicorn head, unicorn <laughs> horn sticking out of her head. I mean, and so, yeah. And so that's a, the positive thing. But our our job is to become visible unicorn.
0: That's correct. That's that. You're absolutely right. Like our stories need to be told because, I, you know, part of my motivation for it and is, is so that it's, it's a part of a, a young girl's, a young black girl's psyche, right? You can do these things. You have examples of of other women who've come before you who, who blazed the trail, who was the first and the only in many of these spaces so that you can, so you can be and you can do. And so that's 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 part of the reason why I feel really strongly about the need for us to tell our stories to put this in spaces where um, where it can be heard and for our stories to and whatever forum or platform we can um, i think it's our job or at least it's my job to make sure that that happens um, because if we're not going to if we're going to can we can't continue to be uniforms. i guess we can but my goal is for it for us to not be unicorns for much longer we need those numbers and the numbers are dismal like let's just be clear Um, we need those numbers to increase Um, but we want i want to do it in a way that i feel like is responsible and um as much as we can because at this moment you're right the, the kids are being educated by people who don't look like them um, who don't know their story, who don't understand their situations, who um who aren't feeling them in in some of the cases. So how do we combat that and make sure that they know that if they do have an interest in in a STEM area or science or computer science or um it, they want to be an engineer like myself that it's it's safe, it's good, you can do it. Yeah, um a co- a couple of
1: things I I wasn't I wasn't thinking of the name, so I I looked it up, um, and you maybe, maybe you know um, Kyla McMullen. She's, she's at the University of Florida, and she's younger, you're younger than I am, she's younger than you, and her story is still similar to mine, first and, first and only, and she's one of the partners in the podcast, Modern Figures. That's the one that I was talking about with their their logo with the mm-hmm. afro and and the black woman with the afro and, and the unicorn horn. But you know, there are some other things that we have to we have to combat before we can begin to replicate ourselves and produce more black women with interest because honestly for some of them that k-12 through upbringing um infuses let me be careful infuses black students with an anti-blackness and so when they see me when they see you they're questioning our existence Mm-hmm. They're questioning our competence. There's pushback when we demand excellence from them. Um, because we they haven't seen us before, so we must not be real. And, you know, I get comments like, well, you must not have been a good lawyer <laughs> if you're here teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because a lawyer is a lawyer is something that that they understand and you know they don't understand that you know my grandparents put four out of five kids through college in Mississippi in the 1950s so education is is one of my family values and HBCUs are something that I'm committed to but you know I've even had a student to say, um, "Well, I do better with white men," and I'm like, well, "Why are you at an HBCU? You need to be at an R1." Right. <laughs> Where, yeah, yo, know, and and so they they're not scared to say that kind of thing out loud. But yeah, as I approach retirement age, I just I hear it, I shake it off, and I keep going because there are enough students who who want to work with me who who are seeking to work with me And it's like okay baby i i don't have to be on your committee anyway i wish i wish you the best right but then (laughs) and and so there's a lot for them to overcome because because their k through 12 um environment may have been less than encouraging about their prospects about their possibilities may have even stifled their ability to dream for themselves and so um, yeah it, it, it's a lot though there's a lot to overcome I have say in therapy because like it
0: you know did this just happen did this just happen um, so so yes yeah. I I agree with you. Well, you know I agree with you, but I also feel like our um, yeah K twelve it doesn't give students the opportunity to dream because they the the opportunities are limited and they don't. And you're right, they don't get to see us. Um, I've had the experience where they um, where it wasn't you know you must have not been a good lawyer. It was so engineering was hard, right? You know, which was, which kind of insinuates on the back end that it was too hard, and that's why, you know, that's why I've, I've left it. You know, so it's like, okay, um, that that would, you know, that's not the truth, but um, not really. At the time when you know when those things happen, I I've learned to, as you said, you sort of kind of shake it off and you keep going, um, but you know that there's something behind that and. And you're right, that's the work that has to be, that's the, that's the stuff we have to break down to get it. Well, you
1: know, so yeah, I, yeah, the wisdom the wisdom that has come for me with age and experience is that's not about me. That, right. That's, you know, that's not about me. And, and that's another lesson in choosing your battles. And I've learned to not spend my God-given time on folks that don't want to get it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, my my intuition, uh, kind of an empathy that that I have is like, okay, there's enough low-hanging fruit. Um, there are folks who who want what I have to offer they see some value in it because the the hard cases that I deal with are becoming fewer and farther between I mean because the other piece about being a black woman is the whole notion that in some ways we're superhuman right now i find myself in the position of having eight graduate students i got seven phd's and one master's student and that's too many i
0: was gonna say that's a lot that's
1: that's that's too many that's too many um and my no is becoming stronger i need to get the ones out that I have, and now COVID nineteen has us regrouping. It's like, okay, how are we gonna still? How are we gonna get out? How are we gonna get you out? How what what is this doing to your research? I just sent an email yesterday, turning somebody down because the students are saying, They're like, okay, Dr. Owens, get people out. Mm-hmm. So maybe she needs to be my chair, but eight graduate students plus this major grant um, that it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's just a lot. And so we have to learn to engage in self-care. And mm-hmm. in that sense, the self-care is I cannot be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the spiritual part of me says people always have plans for your gifts that don't coincide with God's plans or your plans mm-hmm. for your gifts. And so I have to say these things out loud because it, it's all about value. And so people value our, our skills and our abilities, but they may not necessarily value our personhood and so <laughs> we have to learn to value our our personhood and in you know these weeks in in isolation because I was I was sick before this thing became a, a crisis so I've been you know just trying to take care of myself and um I remember a time not too long ago that I would have you know just tried to push Push through. It's like, okay, no, you sick, sit down. Mm-hmm. Rest. Take care of yourself. Um,
0: so there, there are those expectations. The whole, oh, you're a strong black woman. <laughs> so is that the um if you could give a piece of advice to an up-and-coming black woman in STEM, um is that the advice that you would give? Or if it isn't, what, what would that, that that bit of advice be? Um yeah, that's
1: that's the that's the advice that I'm giving now. And you know, and people laugh when I, I say, okay, well, you know, I'm nearing retirement age. They're like, Well, oh, you're not gonna retire. But with, with my grant, one of the things that we do, um, we just chose our second cohort of advanced fellows. And so my first cohort has seven. My second cohort is going to have 10. And I actually have met with both cohorts this week on Zoom. And it was, the tone of the meeting was set by, how you doing? Right. And just one by one, we, you know, it's like, this is what's happening for me. This is how it's working for me. And I end up meeting everybody's kids because this whole, y'all teach, teach on Zoom, but you also need to homeschool your three children that are in three different grades and you still mama, and you still wife, mm-hmm. um, so you cooking, and cleaning, and, and working for the university, and teaching your, your kids, and it's like, what are you, what are you doing for yourself? And so, um, the piece of advice, in a nutshell, I have to attribute it to, to my husband, Dr. A. Navelle Owens, He said it a while ago but i always give him credit we need to internalize the fact that there is a difference between being selfish and having a healthy self interest yeah uh-huh. and so love that. my my advice would be learn to walk in a healthy self interest because people who call you selfish, that means that you're not doing what they want you to do. They have plans for your gifts that aren't necessarily good for you. It's going to benefit them.
0: Mm-hmm. But it
1: might kill you. And so I'm, lear- I'm still learning. Even though he said this to me years ago, I'm still learning to operationalize and walk in a healthy, self interest and to do so unapologetically
0: love that so we would i would like to thank you for coming on with us today um i think this conversation we could probably talk have a part two (laughs) and we might we might have to have a part two at some point well we're at home (laughs) i'll just call you tomorrow okay (laughs) Um, but but i do want to thank you for your time today and um and thank my audience for listening hi everybody if you haven't heard about anger it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make Money from your podcast with no minim- minimum lit- listenership is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So, download the free Anchor app and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Stimming in Stilettos. I sincerely hope that you learned something new from our guest today. Remember that you can listen to Stimming and Stilettos anywhere podcasts are found. You can follow us on Facebook at Stimming and Stilettos. You can find Dr. Tasha on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. Tasha11, Instagram at Dr. Tasha. So until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.